0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Cone of Shame Veterinary Podcast. Guys, I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. I am so thrilled to have you here today. I am hanging out talking to my good friend, Dr. Bob Lester. Uh, Dr. Lester has been all over the vet world doing all kinds of things. He was involved in the founding of LMU's College of Vet Medicine. Uh, I met him back when he worked with Banfield. He is currently with Wellhaven Pet Health. Um, He just does a ton of stuff and he has a great worldly perspective. I'm talking to him about an article that he wrote in our interview i miss cite the article as being from i think aha uh-huh, trends magazine which is a great magazine uh, but it was not where this article was uh this article is actually in vet advantage magazine and so i put a, sh- a link to that in the show notes as well anyway great conversation about shortage of vets and how we get out of this hole i hope you'll check it out in the meantime just a real quick reminder if you have not registered for the april uncharted conference time is running out and you want to do that this is our marketing and strategy conference it is a virtual conference and it is uh it is the flagship of uncharted we talk all about practice strategy uh strategic initiatives setting priorities working efficiently uh communicating effectively with clients especially if they're not back in your uh, in your vet clinic full time uh, if you're still doing curbside things like that so anyway it is a fantastic experience for anybody who wants to grow their practice as far as size or who wants to grow it as small as far as smoothness and efficiency so anyway uh, head on over uh, to the link I'll put down the show notes and I would love to see you April 22nd through the 25th without further ado. Let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome. Welcome, Dr. Bob Lester. Thank you for being with me on the podcast. Great to be with you, Andy. Long time no see. Yeah, it was great to see you again. You know, you and I met when I was in vet school VBMA. way back in the day. Yes, in the VBMA. Uh, shout out to the VBMA, which is uh, the most valuable vet student organization uh, in the history of vet student organizations. In my Agreed. in my in Agreed. my super biased opinion. Um, I just I just love it. Um you were you were at Banfield. Um, I think that was before you left Banfield. You were the vice president of uh, professional relations. And then you left Banfield and you were part of the founding of Lincoln Memorial uh, University College of Vet Medicine. That's correct. And and since then, you have gone on and you are now a co-founder and the chief medical officer. And you're on the board of directors for Wellhaven Pet Health, which is a group of companion animal practices um, across the United States. Right. You guys are uh, not in Canada, are you?
1: We are not in Canada. We're focused in in Minnesota, Colorado, Oregon, Washington and Montana at present. And we'll be adding from there.
0: Very nice. Cool. So you are uh, you are a renaissance man. And you are someone that I've always enjoyed and always gotten a lot of out of our conversations. I, I reached out to you because I saw an article that you wrote in AHA Trends, and it was called More Pets, Less Vets. And it was a discussion of the swelling caseload that we're seeing in vet medicine and the unfortunate reality that we uh, we do not have enough veterinarians to meet demand. And I, I wanted just uh, to get in and unpack that subject with you a bit today. And I do that because of your widely um, sort of diverse perspectives that you've had. You know, you, you have been with you've been with Banfield. You've been part of the Mars company. You have uh, been involved at the training level, at the vet school level and the founding of the vet school, uh, you know, and now you're working with small animal practices again in a much smaller scale than, than Banfield. And I, and, and I just want to talk to you about that. And so let, let me go ahead and just open it up really wide here at the beginning and say, give me an overview of what you see when you look at the workload and the number
1: of hands available to do that work right now happy to andy and thanks for the opportunity i think as we back up to thirty thousand feet there's there's a supply and demand issue and and i think like you i'm an optimist for the most part it's a great thing there's tremendous Mm -hmm. demand for our profession there was pre-covid there's even more now during and and soon post-covid um but a consequence of that with with more demand than supply of not just veterinarians but veterinary technicians veterinary professionals in general is a workforce shortage, which exacerbates burnout, leads to high fees, pushes people uh, look. They will consumers can look for our services elsewhere. Um, so, so there's a real issue with the workforce shortage. And and I hate to jump right into one of the struggles our profession has without pointing out the the good side. I mean, pet numbers are up, pet spending is up, pet lifespans are up, Euthanasia are down, shelters are emptying. Yeah, millennials and Gen Zs are crazy about their pets. We we continue to be admired as veterinary professionals. There are far more tailwinds than headwinds, but yeah. we have to address and not just talk about and wring our hands, but talk about potential solutions for the challenges our profession has. And arguably the workforce shortage is, is right up there in the top three or four things that our profession has to deal with.
0: No, I, I agree. I think that's true from a pet health care providing standpoint you know like it's just supply and demand and as the supply go is down because we don't have enough people to do the work the demand goes up and historically across industries that means the prices go up and it, i don't think that most of us want to raise the price of pet health care you know i is actually it's funny i just had an interview with uh dr michael blackwell and we talked about pet health equity barriers and getting to care. yeah yeah, exactly. And getting care for people who have financial hardship. And and uh, and so I, I don't think any of us want our prices to keep going up more than more than they have to. And so that's while that might be great in some industries and you go just raise the prices. I think a lot of us struggle with that. And then I, I know that you've seen this as well. Just the the burnout strain that we have in our profession. It is just hard. I talked to a veterinarian uh, a couple of days ago who's just in tears because she's uh, she has a young family and her husband travels for his job and she's working herself to death. And she feels this obligation to be there and to see these pets and um and and gosh, my heart breaks uh, breaks for her. Um she's not alone and she's not uncommon. No. And so so yeah, so those are I love that you started with with all the good things, because I think that's important to, to start there and, and remember all those
1: things. But this is a real challenge. Yeah. And, and clearly, as, as we look at how do we fix this, it can't be work harder. We can't work no. any harder. So we no. have to come up with solutions that help us be more productive, more efficient, help more pets and be more humane to ourselves and our teams. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that I, I love the cult, I, I love the culture of vet
0: medicine in, in that, like we have a rich tradition that I am very proud of as veterinarians. Veterinarians have historically been uh, highly respected, trustworthy, yes. compassionate people. And, and I love that. One of our attributes historically has been that we work damn hard, you know, and uh, and that's great. But I do think that we're reaching uh, the limit to that. At some point, you say you just you cannot solve the problem at some point by working harder.
1: And I I think a lot of us are smashed squarely against that ceiling. Without a doubt, we have a culture and ethos of putting pets before vets and vets have to Mm -hmm. back up and put themselves first and their teams. And and that as obvious as that sounds, we we don't do it well. Like your friend that you're talking about in tears. Clearly, she's putting her profession ahead of her life. And I get that as a baby boomer. We were raised to do that. It's life before work. But that's that's not sustainable. That's not healthy. Yeah, I I think that that life actually. Yes. Well, Yeah, I know. I I think
0: that's I think that's got to be the mantra. The, The big way I keep coming back to is just saying, hey, look, guys, this is not about seeing all the pets today. It's about seeing all the pets over the course of your career yeah. and you're not going to have a long career if you don't set some boundaries and say, this is what I can do today. And, you know, and, and rein it in. So you know, it's a marathon and you just can't run wide open in a marathon. And you're not going to make it. And, yeah. and that for me, that has helped. That helps me keep some perspective. And then also, I think other people kind of hear that when I say um, if the goal is to do the most good possible. You have got to pace yourself uh, or ultimately the the total amount of good you do is going to be less than had you rested when you needed to early on. So I, I, I think I think that that's good headspace. At another point. I th- I don't think, you know, that doesn't get us out of this hole, you know exactly. what I mean? Uh, so now we've we're overwhelmed and what's the treatment? <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, you go, OK, uh, I hear this, Andy, don't maybe don't we can't work ourselves to death. You still have not solved the problem of how do, how do we get out of this? Like what, what, what does the future look like? So let me put that question to you and saying, okay, we've identified the problem. We're in agreement uh, that this is a continuous ongoing stressor.
1: How do we get get out of this hole? Well, again, we have to reemphasize it's not working harder. We can't work any harder. And I see kind of four big buckets of, of solutions out there for us to reach to. And no huge light bulbs, no big surprises. People are aware of them already. But the four I see are, are one is talent, is particularly veterinary technicians. How do we better embrace team healthcare delivery? Physicians yeah. do it. Pharmacists do it. Dentists do it. Veterinarians, we are still fiercely independent. Count every pill, develop every x-ray chart, every note. We've got to embrace Uh, team healthcare delivery, specifically through empowering our our veterinary technician nurses. Seconds technology, again, in a pre-COVID, our profession was probably 20 years behind the times. COVID has accelerated that. We're only 10 years behind the times now, but there's still technology we have to embrace. Our primary consumer, as well as our primary workforce, are millennials and Gen Z. They are all about technology, and our profession is still largely living on paper and telephones, and that's not what our consumer is looking for. Um, I'm a big believer for a third. So so technicians, technology, uh, another solution to unpack is I'm a huge believer in preventive care. We have, again, a culture of reactive care. That's what we were taught in vet school. We were taught in referral hospitals. And reactive care is really inefficient. It's really stressful. It's really expensive. As we pivot towards proactive care, I think we can go a long ways towards adding efficiencies as well as helping um, burnout. And then perhaps lastly is to just look at the supply. Um, Talk to your deans, talk to the COE. We can raise class sizes. We can generate more classes coming out of that school. Um, The COE historically, the Council on Education is a wonderful group. I was a member of, of their site visit teams for years and they do a great job in guarding the quality of education. But there's been a, my opinion, a bias towards keeping class sizes down And 10 years ago, that might have been for good reason. One, there were only Mm -hmm. so many seats. There were only so many microscopes. There were only so many cases in the teaching hospital. None of those apply anymore. With virtual learning, with distance learning, number of seats doesn't matter, number of microscopes doesn't matter. With distributed education, you can reach outside of a tertiary care teaching hospital to get wonderful training experiences in the clinical year. So I, I think there's a real opportunity to increase class sizes Um, to to help with the supply. And then uh, on technicians, I should mention again with supply, there's 8,000 plus vet techs coming out of school every year in the US. 3,000 plus vet students. If we kept them all, we'd be fine. There'd be two and a half, three techs for each of us, Andy. We don't keep them. So we've got to empower, pay them, honor them and keep them in the profession. So kind of four different buckets that I think of, um, and you probably can think of others, but those are where I really focus on how we can work, how we don't have to work hard. How do we help more pets without working harder?
0: That's I think. For, so you play right. You play right to my heart too. I, I I think that the the point about technicians is is really great, and I, and I don't think a lot of people grasp the importance of retaining our technicians. And so I I I, I love I love how you're coming at this. Let's talk. Um, where do you want to talk about this? So do you want, do you want to start back at the first bucket and we'll talk about some team healthcare and and uh, what sort of approaches, practices can take or are taking to start to increase their um, their ability to spread the workload
1: out across the team? Completely. And, and that to me is the lowest hanging fruit. It's, yeah, it's just there for the taking. And many of our colleagues are doing it. There are great examples um, out there, um, but that that's a great place to start, Andy.
0: Yeah, so I guess what you would just generally sort of say is start to look at our, at our workflows and, and figure out how to delegate, how to delegate communication, how to how to get delegate um, just, I don't know, just, just the work of the practice and
1: just trying to get that off of the hands of veterinarians. Is that correct? Exactly. I mean, for every physician, there are about five licensed, empowered, well-paid paraprofessionals around them. For every dentist, there are three. If you look at Bureau of Labor Statistics stats, there's about one vet nurse per vet. I mean, that's just not a model that sustains good health team care delivery. Um, we've got to reach out. Veterinarians need to remember we only have three or four jobs. We diagnose, prescribe and do surgery and build relationships, I would argue. Yeah. And beyond yeah, that, I that, give it away. Give it away. It's not ours to do.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think um, I had some ideas. Why do you think veterinarians struggle so much to delegate
1: this stuff away? Well, a couple of thoughts. And one, I'm optimistic. I think Millennials and Gen Zs are, are far more about teamwork than perhaps my boomer generation. Yeah. I think you have to go way back in time to James Harriet, and, and it, the farm boy male is a veterinarian that jumps in a truck and does everything alone and would never ask for help, would never delegate. And that gradually has evolved. You start seeing some companion animals, but you still do it alone, you don't delegate and sadly that culture i think is starting to break down with with younger smarter generations but i think that's what our profession is built on and it's not all bad that generation right. also resulted in the respect that we have with society for for the good we do yeah well there's it's one of those one of those shades of gray where where is the line
0: between self reliance And uh, an inefficiency of not of not leveraging your help. You know, I I think you're right. I think we've we've classically been on the self-reliance. I I would make the point that I don't know that our current educational system sets doctors up to use support staff very well. Uh, You coming out of the vet school background, how do you feel about that?
1: Oh, completely agree. Um, If you're a physician, you're trained side by side with nurses. If you're a veterinarian, there are what? Michigan State and Purdue, I think, are the only two schools that have their vet schools side by side with their vet technician programs i mean that's yeah. what a miss it's a huge miss
0: uh i've been to, uh i was at purdue and i've sort of been toured through their program and is it's really impressive i just i really just love that idea of having the vet techs there with you i just uh, it's the opportunities for collaboration and just just building efficiency. I, I don't know. I, I've,
1: I have just been enamored with that model since I saw it there. We have to model that for vet students. They have to see it in action because um, they're not seeing it in many practices. So they get out and they do whatever practice they go into. And typically that doesn't mean delegating and empowering.
0: I saw that Ban Banfield has kind of been beating the drum because they started their technician appointments. Yes. Just, just about a year or so ago. And I saw, uh, Dr. Molly McAllister, who's their chief medical officer. Yeah, she's, who, wonderful. I'm a huge, oh, she's so great. I'm such a huge fan of hers. I just saw her. She was she was celebrating on social media. They had something yes. some tens of thousands of, you know, of of technician appointments. And it's just they're they're continuing to invest into that. And I, I think we're going to continue to see it expand over there. What are, what are your thoughts about that program?
1: Oh, it's huge. And, and I think many practices have done that and more and more are and, and good for Mars Banfield for, for showing the way. I know in our practice, we, we do that as well. And, and again, getting down to tactics and solutions, what we're starting to do is not easy, and it, there, there's no big light bulb, aha, but we're sitting down with a project that we refer to as delegated duties that doctor by doctor, nurse by nurse, sit down with a list of tasks that doctor, are you comfortable delegating these? Yes, then delegate it. No, then yeah. is there a training issue? Let's address it. And, and but it's duty by duty by duty. So that when a doctor starts to do something that they've agreed could be delegated, then it's now, wait a minute, didn't we talk about this? You can delegate that. And that that takes time. It's not a switch you turn. It's not a program. It's not a quick module. It's day by day, doctor by doctor, team by team. And it's not just delegating to the veterinary technician nurse. It's the it's empowering the whole team. So, in our world, this delegated duties project has been enormous. And and we we largely lifted that from human nursing. The the C O O in in our practice came from um, the nursing world where. To me, that that's a great model the way tech the way hygienists are, are empowered, but it wasn't always that way. Years ago they went through this as well. What did they do? They sat down with delegated duties, they worked on it person by person, and over time they've evolved to where they are today.
0: Yeah. I there's an analogy that I've fallen in love with recently where uh, you know, changing people's minds especially changing their behaviors is not throwing a switch, it's moving a pile of pebbles. Yeah. And and I really think that that's I think a lot of times we want to go into the doctors and be like, hey, look, you're going to start delegating all these things. And like, that's not going to happen. It's nope. very much an ongoing process of working with doctors to get them to hand over one thing at a time. A, a, a lot of it is trust building, too. You know, um, it's a lot to ask and say, you've never done it this way. But I'm going to ask you to make this significant change in the way that you practice and do it zero to 60 in you know, in 4.1 seconds. So, uh, yeah, I, I like that. I have this exercise I really like that I that I sort of talk through with people. I'll, I'll have them sit down and think about what they do with their day and really try to get granular on it and put everything that you do, write it down and put it in three columns. And so the first column is the column that you love and you go, this is this is why I do this job. You know, this is this, I don't want to give this away because I love it. And the other thing is, what can only you do? And you have to really push people to be honest here and go, right. really? Are you you're really the only one who could do this? And then and then everything else goes into the last column. And that column is where we start to delegate from. You know, yep. it's it's yep. we just it just it gives us a framework for them to look at their day and sort of say, OK, this is something I can hand off. So that's that's just that's it. And I that comes from from me and it has that works with me I have to sit down and make that list and it helps me to just look at what I'm actually doing because I think a lot of times we don't we don't make conscious decisions of I'm going to do this and I'm not going to let my text do it we just do what we've always done and we don't think too much about it exactly and that's how we end up in the hole. Yeah. let's talk about it, technology yes so, so what's the low-hanging fruit in technology I've, I've definitely got I've definitely
1: got something I love Oh, there's so much, and and I, I often have to stop. I'm I'm an old guy that you had to help me set up the the, the Skype and Audacity to get on here. So when I find myself promoting <laughs> technology, I'm I'm likely the wrong person. But recognizing that our consumer and our workforce are digital natives, what they're looking for is not what our profession is typically offered. So things from from texting and online appointments and better websites and cloud-based PIMs and artificial intelligence and all the great diagnostics that are coming to uh, assist us in our decision-making. There's just a bucket load of tools out there. And the irony, of course, is that so many will add to efficiencies, but our profession is so busy now. When you go in and say, here's a solution, it's hard because they're so overwhelmed right now, it's difficult to adapt anything new so it, it becomes just classic change management. I, I have to prove to you that the pain of, of trying this is less than the pain of what you're in right now. And that yeah. that's often a challenge. No, I agree.
0: I I've, I think when we talk about technology, you really have to split things up into the into immediately useful, make a difference on the ground right now versus the long term play. And I think a lot of people out there beating the drum for technology don't do a really good job of this. And so I have a very controversial, uh, not sexy take on telemedicine, uh, you know, in sort of virtual visits. And it is that they're fine. <laughs> they're yeah. they're fine. Yeah. Uh, most of us don't have. Yeah, they're super cool. Most of us don't have the bandwidth to add them into what we're currently doing right now. And I would say for most individual practices, the economics don't make sense to take a doctor off the floor and have them doing virtual visits. That said, I think there are ways to do this. You know what I mean? Uh, there's there's economy of scale and there's all these things. And so don't hear me and think I'm saying this is not going to go anywhere. But I think a lot of the enthusiasm for this is, is maybe a bit over the top when you look at how do we actually implement this at a, at an individual practice level. The things that I'm super excited about with technology are Wholly unsexy, uh, and and they are things like they are things like uh, getting into text messaging, right? Yep, and there's a lot yep. of practices that are still on the phone. And you go, guys, you do this for a day, and you will see how much time you save, and not and and you will hear the phone rings, just the volume go down, and it's like it can be nearly immediately useful, and it's amazing how many practices are not using text messages, which which clients largely prefer now. Yes. And again, it's different with different clientels. I I. I see on the horizon virtual CSRs yep. and you're starting to see some of these companies that are coming up and doing virtual CSRs where when your phones get overwhelmed, you can flip over and have your, you know, your third party provider pick up the phone from your practice and start scheduling appointments for you. And like, you know, this is, this makes tons of sense. Yeah, and so I,
1: I like, I like that a lot. I agree with you. When you look at technology, that's such a broad field. There's diagnostics, there's medicine, there's so many things, but in the communication domain technology, I think is where the low hanging fruit is, and you're right there isn't it's not particularly sexy we're We're testing um, just what you described a virtual csr in a couple of our hospitals now there's there's just huge opportunity there oh and- you know it's it coming. I started started
0: jumping in. I I saw it coming a couple of years ago when uh, I started having friends and they're they're just amazing. rock star technicians would move away and my friends would be like, wait, you don't have to quit your job.
1: You can do this from Albuquerque. Let me get you set up. And I think that's one of the objections that many of our colleagues have is, hey, this profession is all about relationships. It's all about face to face. It's all about me in some cases, which is you can take technology specifically some of the communication tools and deepen that relationship and increase those touches and as i've been thinking about it lately and i'm i'm in the back of my mind i'm kind of drafting a future uh, article on this is is imagine tony stark is a veterinarian so tony stark <laughs> is a great pro, he he's a problem solver he's bright he gets things done he's successful when he puts his suit on which is technology He can do even more as as veterinary professionals. If we just put that technology suit on, that extends us. That makes us even more effective. And to extend the analogy further, at at risk of not really knowing Marvel Comics, and my kids aren't here, he also has his team. When he when he puts on his technology and he embraces his team, I mean, they save the world every episode. Well, I guess there was that one episode they lost. Yeah, there was. Uh, uh... But they save the world, and and our team, of course, (laughs) our vet techs and paraprofessionals. They're there's a Dr. Tony Stark veterinarian analogy out there to embrace techs and technology that really extends us, but doesn't doesn't affect our relationship. It, it enhances our relationship building.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, I love your point about reactive care is expensive mm-hmm. and wildly inefficient. And I think we've all seen that. And when we start talking about preventive versus diagnostic, there's there's one area that I go straight, straight to. But before I start to take us down that down that specific rabbit hole. Let me ask you, when you say increasing preventive care so that we get to decrease reactionary care, what are examples of that? Like, how how does that look in the actual practice itself?
1: Yeah, a couple of things. So one, I think human medicine does this as well. Reactive care has been monetized. Reactive care is what we think of as cool when we come through vet school. Um, When the diabetic walks in, we go, cool, I get to work it up. I know all these things. I can have the explanation as Mm -hmm. opposed to beating ourselves up that, hey, I've seen this client for years. How did I let them get so out of shape? How did we wind up here? So it's difficult to change that paradigm. Um, and, and, but to, the, to your point earlier, reactive care, proactive care is so much more efficient. It, it's so much more less expensive. It's helping pets live longer. And I believe a huge uh, impact to burnout, compassion fatigue, some of the mental health issues we have are we're dealing with, with drama. It's dramatic things that should never have hit our door. We should have been able to intervene some time ago. It's, it's costly. We get into economic euthanasias. We get into difficult yeah. relationships with clients and stressful times. If we just back up and pivot from reactive to proactive care, pets live longer, our clients are happier, our relationships are, are deeper, um, and, and we, we help solve or at least mitigate some of the burnout issues we're working on.
0: Yeah. No, I completely agree. I think, I think for me, the example that's easiest to see is dentistry. You know, the difference in getting that grade one, grade two, uh, periodontal disease mouth in and getting it clean versus waiting until it's grade four and we're taking out teeth and it's this multi-hour procedure you know um yeah that's just that's a and and and, you know you're giving people estimates for twelve hundred dollars you know it's it's a range too because you don't know it's there you're like eight eight hundred to fifteen hundred dollars that's a big range um that i think we've all seen care bogged down at that point and i'm not saying we're doing anything wrong it's just this is a crummy hole to be in and i'm not saying it's our fault necessarily that we're there, but I think that there are things we can do to try to reduce the number of times we end up in that spot.
1: Yeah, and I'm a big fan of wellness plans. I mean, when, when you have that budgeted care and, and the pet parent is spending 50, 60, 70 bucks a month, whatever it is, and that includes that annual dental and all of their exams and all of their preventive care and nutrition counseling and behavior counseling, you're touching, you or your team are touching that client three, four, five times a year as opposed to the one 20-minute appointment we're lucky to get. By some estimates, half the pets in America aren't even seeing a veterinarian this year, will we'll not see a veterinarian this year. So we touch them more often, we educate them, we turn them into better pet parents, we budget their care, the pet lives longer, and you don't get that $1,200 one because you've been doing an annual pro to keep that mouth healthy.
0: Yeah. What do you think is going to happen with, with wellness plans? Do you think they're going to continue to grow? Do you think that we've hit a plateau? Do you think that they're going to look very different in the future? I, I've been a big fan forever. And honestly, I've been a little bit disheartened with how slowly wellness plans have actually made their way into mainstream practice.
1: Yeah. I, and I think there's a fundamental disconnect. Like you, I'm a big fan. And we've got, well, we're, we're just a baby practice. We've got about 10,000 families on wellness plans and, and Power, the power, the impact is enormous. Um, but I think they're often misunderstood. People think they're a discount plan, or they're a loyalty mm-hmm. plan, or it's something I bolt on to the side of my practice. It's a fundamental approach to preventive care, that that's what we're all about. We're here to help keep your fur baby from getting sick. And if that's that's at the heart of your practice, then wellness plans make all the sense in the world. They do have some administrative burden. They're not easy yeah. to run. But if you embrace that, and you don't look at this as just some little bolt-on off to the side, they're enormously powerful. Yeah, I like it.
0: What do you see at an industry level? So we've been talking about the practices and what, what can we do in practice. Are there industry-wide initiatives that you think are going to help us uh, relieve the, the pinch pain that we're feeling now as far as workload?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not giving it a lot of thought. As I look at the issues our profession faces, um, AABMC is doing a really some really nice things with diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, Michael Blackwell and others are really looking at, at barriers to care, um, cost of education. There's some work going on. Wellness, everybody's working. I, I don't see anybody really focusing on the workforce shortage yet. Well, it's, it's one of those flat forehead obvious things. You can't talk to a veterinary professional that isn't struggling to hire and acknowledge yeah. this. I don't see the flag really being waved anywhere. Um, one of the hats I wear, I'm, I'm on the board of NAVC, and that's one of the things that we're talking about now. How can we utilize our platform? How can we pull people together? How can we better not just wring our hands? How can we bring solutions out there to, to help our profession um, embrace this? Because I don't see it going away. Pet numbers have gone up tremendously the last year, and there are those that are, concerned that suddenly offices are going to open up tomorrow. People are going to go back to work and they're going to take that COVID pet and take it back to the shelter and resurrender it. To which I ask, have you met a millennial that's adopted a COVID pet? There's no way they're going to take those pets right back and, and take them back to the shelter. So pet numbers are going to continue to go up. And I don't see our workforce expanding to meet that. So we've got to get our arms around this. This is a big issue. Um, it's, it's hurting our colleagues. So we need to address it. And there are solutions as you and I've been talking about.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, do you have any final thoughts, words of wisdom, pearls of advice, uh, you know, visions of the future that, that you would like to
1: share? Well, as we keep coming back to, I think you and I are both optimists. I, I just spoke to a graduating class the other day, um, that, I sincerely believe and shared with them, there's never been a better time to be a veterinary professional. We have issues to deal with, but they all have solutions. Um, Pet numbers are up, is down, lifespan's up, the bond is stronger than ever. This is a really good profession to be in, but we can't work harder. We've got to set boundaries. We've got to put our life before our work and enjoy a 25, 30, 35 year profession. It's a great career. It's a great place to be. We make such a difference in our society we've got to we've got to take care of ourselves first then we can take care of the pets that come to see us and that's veterinarians veterinary technicians the whole team no i agree
0: where can people go if they want to learn more about
1: well uh, have pet health and your practices thank you Andy. they can go to wellhaven.com we're a growing group of practices both brand new aha build uh, hospitals as well as uh, acquisitions and joint ventures um, focused in five states now but growing fast trying to really embrace a lot of what we've talked about today. My job and, and our job in our practice is, is to care for the caregivers. Um, how do we help give them the tools to be successful? And, and that's, that's what we do. So wellhaven.com, they can Google up, they can always find me as well. Bob.LesterDVM at wellhaven.com.
0: Perfect. I was going to say, is there a place that people can go to find uh, to find you online or find your find your writing? So uh, like I said, I found this article in trends that I enjoyed. Uh, is that where you're doing most of your writing now?
1: Most of my writing, um, like you now, is uh, in today's veterinary business. So I do a column there. Every issue, have been doing that for a couple of years. And then my pieces pop up here and here and there as well. Perfect. And LinkedIn's another place that you can always find me. And I'm happy to talk with anybody. I don't pretend to have all the answers. I I welcome others' feedback. Call me out where I'm wrong and, and help point me in a different direction. I love it.
0: Thanks a lot, Bob. I really appreciate your time. Good talking with you, Andy. And that is our episode. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. I hope it made you feel good. I hope it gave you food for thought. If it did any of those things, I hope that you'll tell your friends uh, or possibly write an honest review on iTunes. It is a wonderful way for people to find the show. It gives some validation to what we're doing. And as of the time of recording this, we have 99 reviews, which means if you go and write a review on iTunes of this podcast, You could be the 100th reviewer, and I don't know what that gets you, but I feel like it should get you something. There'll be some sort of karmic trophy that I'm pretty sure you can expect to receive if you're the 100th reviewer of this podcast. So anyway, I'm just going to put that out there. Just do with that. You can pick it up if you're feeling it, or you could just walk right around it. But either way, just just wanted to say that. (laughs) Gang, in all seriousness, take care of yourselves. Be well. Remember that you are important and you do important work.